Welcome to the Why Invest podcast with me, Doug Barnett. In this series, we want to demystify the worlds of finance and investment. We're going to be speaking with industry experts, strategists, fund managers, and financial planners. We'll hear from investment professionals who are at the top of their game, but also entrepreneurs who need investment, technology specialists disrupting the world of investment, and good old-fashioned active allocators of capital. In this episode, and in the next three or four episodes of the podcast, I'm going to be speaking to entrepreneurs who have either raised or are looking to raise capital. We're going to hear how they took their ideas from concepts to creations, what it felt like to take the plunge, often leaving relatively safe and stable jobs, and the trials and tribulations associated with raising capital. We have some great stories lined up, and this week we have an awesome guest, His name is Charlie Jardine. He is the founder of EO Charging, which designs and manufactures charging points for electric vehicles. We talk about how he founded the business, essentially in his shed, and how he scaled it up using local businesses. And now having raised his first round of external capital, the growth opportunity for the business, which, by the way, is huge. Charlie was great to chat to. He's very understated. I really hope this story resonates with you as it did with me. And do check out their website, which has amazing content on it, at eocharging.com. Without further ado, this is the Why Invest podcast. The information provided during this podcast does not constitute investment advice and should not be relied on as such. It should not be considered a solicitation to buy or an offer to sell a security. Charlie Jardine, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Charlie, how did you start your career? So I, I went to Leeds University. I studied design and technology management and, you know, like everyone enjoyed uni, um, probably more than, more than the course, but uh, did a couple of businesses there and then left, moved to London, did a, a, a rubbish sales job, uh, which lasted about six weeks. And then I met a guy called Eric and Eric runs a company called Podpoint and Podpoint is a, a manufacturer of electric vehicle charging stations. So joined him in in sales uh, and they quickly moved me to marketing because I was so terrible. <laughs> and uh, It's a different skill set. It's Yeah, a different skill set. And I was terrified of the phone. I was quite creative. Um, and yeah, they, they, I think out of courtesy gave me a chance to, to mm-hmm. stay around. So uh, yeah, d- did that. Ended up doing that for about 18 months and, and, and loved it. Yeah, mm-hmm. fell in love with EVs. Uh, and got, what was the what did the company do? So, so they make charging stations for electric cars. Mm-hmm. So basically, now one of our competitors. Right. But they were one of the pioneers. They were kind of one of three companies that started in around 2009, which at that point it was zero market. Mm-hmm. Um, so by the time I joined, I think in 2013, there was a bit more of a market. Still, the industry was very small, and it's it's only really now it's starting to pick up. So, uh, yeah, I'm sure if you've read the news, then you'll, you'll see that electric vehicles are... Absolutely huge. And we'll come, we'll come back to the market. But take me back to that moment, 18 months into your mm-hmm. job, um, when you thought, right, I'm going to take the plunge. I can do this better. So I think I always had... I'm, 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 I'm a shy person, but I always had this uh, confidence that I could do it better mm-hmm. and that it was really easy. So I'm, I'm not an engineer. I'm not a software developer. I felt I was, a, a, I guess, a short career marketing person and thought, why can't we make charging points that just work, that look awesome and make it really simple? 
you know, because not every customer of an electric vehicle is going to be a scientist. So people like my dad drive electric cars and he's a technophobe. And actually the way that the companies in general were approaching customers was very much talking to them like they were engineers. And actually for me, that, that, that didn't make sense. Like I struggled to understand what it is that products did and meant and probably why I struggled so much in sales because I wasn't convinced myself. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think from, from, from my perspective, it was, it was seeing an, an opportunity to do it a bit differently, try and build a brand that made charging really simple, super reliable um, and, and actually for the mass market. So again, we're, we're no longer in the, the innovator stage. It's very much a, a maturing technology. And, and as you can see, you know, EVs are, are the talk of the town. So normal people are buying these vehicles now and, and we need to approach customers like they are normal humans buying normal technology for the house. I guess that must be a, a problem for all emerging technologies. You have, you know, having gone from, um, you know, geeky geeks in labs mm. trying to get a, a, a product to market is kind of a different thing. And it's, you know, it's a different skill set in the same way mm. sales is a different skill set to marketing. Mm. Um, when you were devising, uh, you know, charging and the technology mm. behind it, what were your sort of non-negotiables? What did you want to do better than your competitors and perhaps your previous employer. Uh, the way the product looked is, is absolutely critical. You know, if if I'm going to invest quite a lot of money into a vehicle and I take pride in choosing my vehicle, and I also take pride in the house that I live in, why do I want a big, great, ugly thing on the side of my property? I I, I don't. So I think the most important things for us has always been: what does the product look like? How do we explain what the product does? Keep it really, really simple. And fundamentally, it's, it is just a plug. Yeah, of course, we have lots of software now that does lots of clever things. But fundamentally, the plug charges your vehicle so you can go to work. And that is that is the most important thing. If it only did that, that, mm-hmm. that would be job done. So that sounds like a very uh, a basic way to look at it. But again, for me, it was about trying to, to use the charger as the gateway into the business. Mm-hmm. We can talk about later what, you know, what, what we do now, but... It's tangible. I buy an electric vehicle. I now need a charge point, and now I've got a customer as EO, mm-hmm. and and that's the conversation conversation starter. So you've got to have the hook, um, and yeah, I think what we've done really well is create a brand that uh, customers can have a re- relationship with. Mm-hmm. And what what kind of research did you do? You obviously had experience in the in the sector before, and um, you know how much of it is is diving into books and and um, <laughs> trying to scout the internet uh, for great ideas. And how much is it mm. sort of talking to um, the market and 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 sort of doing? There was definitely research? no diving into books. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm certainly not academic. Um, so it was yeah. A lot of this has been done off gut. So the first charger we made, I got a picture of the Apple mouse, you know, the really sexy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The sort of um, oval one. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Uh, looks like a stone. Yeah, it's so nice. So I got a picture of that, flipped it up vertically, stuck the letters EO on the front, put a lightning bolt and a socket and took that to the local plastic injection molding shop and said, can you make me a charger like this, please? Where was the plastic injection <laughs> molding shop? It's called Haverhill Molding Tool. Okay. In Suffolk. I don't know it. No, sorry. I mean, <laughs> uh, it's a big surprise. So, yeah, I, I, I live in London, but I did move back to Suffolk for like 18 months. Okay. And so actually we set up the business on the farm, on my grandpa's farm, in a barn 
uh, we had a port cabin and then we had a, a shipping container and we, we actually used local engineers, local software developers and a local injection molding shop mm. called Haverhill. Yeah. And so, yeah, for me, it was, it was, and I haven't been approaching this from a technical perspective. I've tried to, to actually find people to, to help build the technical solution, but ultimately it's, it's a, it's a solution designed for customers. Mm. Uh, and I think, yeah, again, in a maturing market that, that should hopefully come across an advantage. Mm-hmm. So let's go back to the farm and um, when you were you're sort of designing and prototyping, what, what's the next stage? You go to your injection molder mm. and say, look, I want to do this. Then what you do, find your software developers and manufacturers. So we did, did it in parallel. I mean, actually the injection molding was, was later on, but uh, we found an electronics engineer and we said, this is what we want the product to do. The molding shop was, this is what we want, want the product to look like. I mean, how technical is it? Is, is it? It's pretty technical. Mm. I mean... The charger we made first is is far less technical than the ones that we've got today. Um, the, the first ones didn't really have any software. It was just a, a glorified plug that charged your car quickly and safely and looked great. Um, now it's it's much more complex, but it was a, yeah, electronics guy, please sign this for me. I, I took a guy from the old company who, who helped build the specification. Um, and we, yeah, we got some local software developers and it took us about 12 months to get the first product to market. Uh, the software then came about a year after that. So it was kind of a two-year project. It was small beginnings and uh, the pig shed was a, a cosy home. So what was one up from the pig shed? Well, once you've <laughs> realised that, okay, this actually this idea has got legs, mm. um, what was the next stage? Did you then go and look for investment or did you then look for a team? What yeah. was the next stage? So we had, I mean, the first job was to get, get a product we could sell. Um, the, the second job was to go and sell it. So I took that job and despite my fear of doing sales, loaded up my car with electric charge points and drove up and down the country trying to sell them to installers, so in, like electricians. So, so that was the, the second job. That was really hard. But was that actually, just you, one man band? One man band. No way. Okay. Yeah. And for someone who doesn't like sales. I hated it. <laughs> I, but actually, you know what? It, it had to be done and... Yeah, you know, to start with, to answer any other questions, you know, my dad put the money in initially, mm-hmm. um, and so the pressure on me to go and deliver was then like, okay, well, I can't chicken out anymore, um, so I've got to go and do it. But we we had some success. We found some some great installation partners who would, whilst we were a new brand, no, no one trusted, they were trusted. So the customer would go to the installer to say, I want a charge point, and they would advise our product. So they, they became essentially a sales force, ambassadors for, for the brand, and, uh, and that got us into business. Uh, and then it's, it's, it's obviously grown outside of just selling to installers, but that, that, was, that was a route into the market. Mm-hmm. I see. And then when did you start then? So at, the, at what point did you get fed up of going up and down the country trying to sell and then realize that actually, you know, we need some other people to help us? Well, it was, so I was the lonely salesman for probably... I guess two years. That's a lonely. That's a long and lonely time to be a salesman. Uh, it, it it was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, we needed more people in the office. We got office pe- office staff. We got um, yeah. So I, I would just go and get the sale, and then the, the team would process the order and and ship it out. And yeah, we 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 did this. We built this through partnerships. You know, we would go to it was initially installers, and then it was uh, international partners who would take the product, the software, because I'd worked at a company 
who had deals with car companies and supermarkets and um, you know whoever else. I, I, I knew what you had to do to get those deals over line. The trouble was, I was a startup shop in the UK competing against those guys that have been established for three to five years. And the, uh, the, the nice thing about international business was you could tell a different story. I'm a, a UK leading charge point manufacturer, all of which was true, because yeah. by the way, there were only four or five companies. Um, yeah. And you know, here's a presentation that I know if you deliver to Nissan. Sounds and- like the sales experience has rubbed off on you. Well, I, 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 I think I'm quite good now. Yeah. But, um, uh, so yeah, that's what we did. We, you know, it was like a, a bit like a franchise model, found international partners, and we gave them, here's the product, here's the software, and here's the playbook on how to build a business selling out equipment. And actually, that became really successful. So like fast forward to today, and you've got about 60 to 70% of our charging units being bought from international markets. Okay. So it was a... It was a, a bit of a bet, but I wanted to be first in a handful of countries, and we weren't first here. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, who's your biggest export market? If you lose that, then? well, it's actually Norway, but that was not the intention. My my intention was that we'd find virgin territories where EA could be positioned as first. But then we got I got an email from a, a guy in Norway saying, "I've got a project for two thousand charge points. Can we can we specify your equipment?" So I said, "Of course." And jumped on a plane and went to go and see them and ended up trying to make the most of my time. So I met two or three others. The guy that wanted 2,000 charge points didn't order them. And uh, we met two or three others who ended up, and it's still our, our biggest customers. Mm-hmm. So Norway's got 70%. So 70% of their new car sales are electric. So it's the, the most uh, highly adopted market of EVs in the world, despite being a small country. So outside of Norway, you've got places like Australia, you've got Thailand, you've got Israel, which are pretty random, but we found a, a good market position in, the, in those countries. The, the, the difference between that business, which was basically shipping hardware, mm. to what we're now doing is, is that we're selling our products with our installation service, and then we're maintaining the equipment, and we're providing kind of 24-7 support. And that full turnkey solution... Mm. Is something that we've built here in the UK and Ireland, but are now delivering in places like Germany, France, Italy, and Spain. So, so the business has evolved quite a lot. Yeah, and you can see, I mean, that, that is clearly an incredibly sticky and sustainable business, the, the afterlife service side. What do you think is the first, um, I mean, it sounds like the non-negotiable bit from the start was design and making sure it looked cool and great. Um, has that changed or do you think you're still, that, that, sort of, that remains part of your core identity yeah it, it's not changed the focus has changed though so the shift in terms of attention is, is not only now on the hardware but it's very much on the software so if, you, if you're a, a fleet with 200 electric vans going back to a, a single depot and parking up at the same time and trying to charge at the same time your customer is very different the plug then becomes very much a plug like the driver plugs in and walks away and the guy managing the equipment is the fleet manager or the site manager. And his interaction with the product is very much in the software. So are my cars or vans plugged in? Are they charging? What's the state of charge of the battery? And trying to present relevant and useful information to that person. So again, we, we've tried to take the same kind of value in our uh, design approach to software. It's definitely 
been a challenge. So yeah, we, we basically built a hardware business and we're now transitioning that into, into a software company. So in order to, to deliver the expectations that we have, obviously we've, been, we've had to invest you know, a lot of money and time and, and people into building out the software. So it's not an overnight job, Amazing. but it's it's certainly evolving. It's become a, a big part of our business. So uh, what does the competitive landscape now look like? And where do the, um, you know, where the, do the, does the strength of the business lie? Is it in superior software developers? Is it in hardware developers? Is it mm-hmm. in great design still? Where do you think it, it sits? Yeah, so our, our, our focus is on, on fleet. So what does fleet mean? Fleet means I'm a business that delivers parcels, uh, furniture, food, and I've now got a a fleet of electric vans or trucks. Those vehicles go back to depots, they plug in overnight. That's customer one. Customer two is, you know, I'm a a big business who's got lots of employees and I'm now giving those employees electric cars or electric vans. And those vehicles are typically going back to people's driveways and they're now using their own energy to charge up. So as a business, I need to know that Charlie Jardine, employee number four, has used X amount of energy in the month of November and it's cost him X and therefore I need to pay him back. Um, and, and so those two customer sets are our core customers. Mm-hmm. And actually, if you look at what our competitors are doing, they've historically just focused on public charging. So charge points in supermarkets or petrol full courts or even on the street um, or and or home charging. So, yeah, Mrs. Jones buys a Nissan Leaf mm-hmm. and needs a charging point at home. And so those are two ends of ends of the spectrum. And, and we've kind of focused on the middle bit. Mm-hmm. And arguably the, high, the middle bit's the, the higher quality bit in the sense that there's a, there's a much bigger and stronger network. Correct. So yeah. I think, yeah, at this point, 59% of vehicles on the road are uh, business vehicles. So whilst fleet has been historically a niche, Actually, it's the majority of the market. And now that the incentives and the commercial benefit of a business adopting EVs is is such that it makes sense financially. Mm-hmm. What you're now seeing, in, particularly in the last six to 12 months, despite COVID, businesses are adopting these things really quickly. Mm-hmm. You know, so as an employee of EO, I get 0% benefit in kind tax on my electric car versus up to 37% for my petrol diesel equivalent. So now it's a, that's, that's impacting my pocket. So now I'm massively motivated to move so i think the the point of saying that is yeah eo is focused on fleet it's now the majority of the market and it's it's where you'll see most of the growth because once businesses can see a commercial benefit they jump on it mm-hmm. and actually all those concerns that vehicles don't travel enough distance or the public charging infrastructure is rubbish well you know to some extent those things are partly true but the fact is if you look at norway where they've helped drivers buy EVs by making them cheaper, you don't really care about that stuff. Mm. Like money is the motivating factor. Mm. Who's the who's leading the, the world in this? Norway are they Norway the and to be fair, China. Yeah. So in terms of uh, unit sales, China buys more electric cars than the rest of the world put together. Um, in terms of adoption, as we said earlier, seventy percent of vehicles in Norway, new vehicle sales are electric. Um, I think What's really exciting is is places like China, where you've got over 200 local car companies that you've never, ever heard of, now making really amazing electric vehicles, which will probably only ever be sold in China. But 
the Chinese government are getting behind both renewables and within that EVs, and that's going to be a, a huge market. So are they? I agree. I mean, you know, there's um, an awful lot of publicity with Mr. Xi saying we're going to be zero by 2060, I think it is. When um, will, how easy is it in, for you as a foreigner to get into China? It's not one of your markets at the moment. Is it aspirationally? Is it um, going to be? It's potentially. So I think the, obviously we currently make charge points. So we, we still make them here in the UK. Is that where we'll make them forever? No, probably not. So as the market matures and the product becomes more, I guess, commoditized, then you have this price crunch. So to, to kind of uh, combat the price crunch, you have to look at how do I do this cheaper? That might be keeping some in the UK, probably not. It's probably looking at Eastern Europe and maybe China. So our, our interest in, in, in China is one as a manufacturing source, but also assuming we can create the right kind of technology that is superior to other companies. And actually, there's, there's no reason why we can't sell our products in China. So, so yeah, we've, we've looked at it. We've kind of started the, the investigations, but it's not on the immediate roadmap. Um, but staying in Asia, tell me about Thailand. What was the Thai connection? Was there a Thai connection? <laughs> Um, or did you just um, have a, a, a throwing darts at the world? No, no there's, there's, a, there's a normal joke that we crack about Thailand, but um, <laughs> probably not. Is it, it's perfectly appropriate. <laughs> it's, it's, not, it's not appropriate. Mars would kill me. <laughs> um, so do you know what? It was, it was just, we actually got an email from a guy in Bangkok saying, um, I want to start a charging business. And uh, we said, of course. And he ended up coming to the UK and, met us in the pig shed uh, and ended up becoming a, a big reseller of our products. And now they've got a deal with Volvo and they're selling one EO charger with every electric Volvo that's being sold in Thailand. So it's, uh, wow. I mean, it's, I think the, the point to say here is there's a difference between number of units we're selling and value of product. Yeah, of like <laughs> if we're doing fleet deals in the UK and we're selling the charges with the power supply upgrades, mm-hmm. the installs, yeah, ongoing support and maintenance. The value per unit is 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 significantly more than just a a charge point sale to a, an international territory. Mm-hmm. I see. Um, and let's talk about the sort of fundraising journey, if we can. And and um, you know, I know that you have attracted capital in, uh, recently. What have been the, the the big challenges? And again, I mean, it's a very different skill set, um, you know, raising capital to running a business. Um, what have been the sort of challenges and uh, high points in, in that? Mm. I think the the hard thing is you want to raise capital, but every time you go there, they're like, if you only you could get a bit further. Mm. And so, you know, to start with, it was like we, we we wanted access to more money, but actually the business wasn't ready to go and raise proper money. So we're in a lucky position to have you know, family and then friends. And, and that actually helped us get to a point where we had a business model that was 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 viable. So I think yeah, our, our lesson here is once you've got a business that works and you potentially don't even need money, that's when investors want to throw money at you. Mm-hmm. So it's not quite true for where we've been, but you know, we started off family, then friends. We got to about June 2018 and, and Zook Capital put some money into the business. And that really helped us you know, build the team slightly ahead of the sales. But generally speaking, the business has been you know, has been profitable. This year will be yeah, very profitable. 
and so we're running a pretty elite, pretty lean outfit. Mm-hmm. Our experience with with you know, raising money, I mean, Zook was a, a relationship we had for a few years. So when we first started the company, we talked to Zook, and it was always a, a kind of quarterly or six monthly check in with with the guy there to say, you know, how how are we getting on, and we were making good progress. And eventually, he said, "Look, let's just sit down, let's talk about it." And uh, yeah, he said, "Look, in six months' time, we'll have a deal." And basically, to the day we had we had the deal done in yeah, June uh, twenty twenty eighteen. And how hands on are they? Are they kind of are they are they the kind of investor that let you get a, get on with it and, and do your yeah. own thing? Um, and if if so, I mean, how then the, the onus is on you? How do you make those big capital allocation decisions? Um, in terms of you know, mm. do we need more staff? Do we need more um, manufacturing capacity? Mm. How to just talk me through that process? Yes. I mean, to be, Zuka generally pretty hands off. Um, you know, they are great because they understand this space. So they've invested in EO. They've invested in uh, a rapid charging network called an Instavolt. They're manager of the government's charging infrastructure investment fund, which is 400 million of, of capital for public charging mostly. Um, so, that, so they get the space. So in terms of firstly, giving us credibility, secondly, access to capital, but also giving us the right kind of steer on where to focus. Um, so that, that's certainly been helpful. Ultimately, they're not running the business. So the decisions then come down to the senior management team. Um, so I'm, I'm lucky I've got, obviously myself, my dad is is MD and uh, we've got a, a great FD, uh, a lady called Karen. Now, my dad has built and sold two businesses before. He uh, He's always come from a world where you have to make profit to live. And uh, whilst it's been huge frustration to most of us, actually what it's meant is we've created a, a business that is profitable, that has run a really tight ship. And so to answer your question, yeah, the decision to allocate capital has been a mixture of our three. Uh, and dad's normally the one to say no, and then we have to convince him. But I think it's a, it's a pretty good balance because we normally get to the right decision. Mm-hmm. And let's think about the future. I mean, clearly the future is bright um, for uh, electric vehicles. You know, there are lots of government policies and, and actually it's not only government, it's, you know, social um, movements uh, behind electric vehicles. Where would you like to see uh, EO charging positioned? So we want to be the leader in electrifying fleets globally. So that's cars, that's vans, that's trucks, and that's potentially even buses. So, yeah, we've built a really strong engineering services business in the UK. So that, I said it twice, but that's the, the full turnkey of installation, mm-hmm. supply upgrades, ongoing management and support of the equipment. And when you're delivering parcels in electric vehicles, it's absolutely mission critical that infrastructure works. So we're a product and technology business that, by the way, also can install and support the equipment. And so that, that, that kind of turnkey capability has been built for the UK and Ireland. It's now being rolled out across Germany, France, Italy and Spain. The, uh, the vision for the business moving forward is to take that turnkey fleet solution, deploy it in a number of countries across the world. We'll, we'll try and follow the customer as much as possible rather than go into a market, set up shop and wait for the customers to come try and actually go with our customers that have had our service in UK and Ireland. And considering the types of companies we work with, you know, they, they are often global companies that can can give us that opportunity. So so for us, yeah, look, it's it's fleet, 
and and it's, it's going to stay with it's fleet. global. Yeah, yeah, it's absolutely, fleet and it's global. Correct. And um, what do you think then are the key risks to that? I mean, is it um, another large, well-capitalized company coming in and saying, "Hey, look, we can do better. We can do software yeah. better than them." Um, Maybe, but I think yeah, we we've got a three-part plan. Part one was build hardware. So yeah, as I said before, you buy a vehicle, an EV, you need a charge point. Tangible, opens a conversation. And now we've used that hardware business to build this turnkey solutions business. So now we're selling the software, which by the way comes with the hardware and we'll install it and we'll maintain it and support it. The big thing that we've done this year is we've made our software platform hardware agnostic, which basically means we can integrate other people's charges onto the platform. Mm -hmm. So rather than just have EO software with EO charges, you have EO software with charges from ABB or Schneider or Tritium or Delta. And so the point of saying that is, you know, partly it's, it's risk mitigation because at some point companies in Asia do make charge points as good and cheaper than us. And so you know, by having a platform that is agnostic, you can always support the best charging equipment. Hopefully it's from us but there's, there's instances where it's not. Mm. So um, what that also means is the, the third phase is, is being a software company. So the next five to 10 years is about building the infrastructure for fleets to electrify. That will be a five to 10 year game. Uh, and actually at, at the point you get to a fully electrified fleet, those fleets will start thinking about how do I optimize my cost? So how do I cut costs out of my fleet? And, and a really nice thing about EVs is, yeah, with energy prices being variable, cheap at midnight, expensive mm. at 5 p.m., with an emerging market for selling grid services or potentially even vehicle to grid, there's actually quite a, a big opportunity to, to cut costs out of refueling your fleet to the point where you, know, you might be paid to do so at certain times. So our aspiration as a business is to have a platform, the best platform for making charging your fleet the cheapest. Mm. And if we can do that, then yeah, clearly the long-term winner is the company that's got the best platform. Mm. But but to get there, you know, if you work with any big fleet, they've got other software systems that they're using in their daily operation, which to, to create a really strong software proposition in our space, our software has to integrate with those systems. So... By doing those integrations for these companies and customers, what you're creating is real stickiness. You know, if the EO platform is integrated with your telematics, your scheduling software, your accounting system, your CRM, like you're gonna have to do a pretty good job to to mess it up. Mm. So, yeah, I think from from my perspective, of course, there's there's concerns that bigger companies will come in with plenty of cash. The fact is it's taken us two or three years to get into these fleets. Mm. Yes, they're buying hands, handfuls of charging points, but in the meantime, we're also integrating with their systems. It's becoming and stickier and it's stickier, really stickier and harder yeah. and harder to Correct. connect your platform, I see. Correct. And so um, in that scale-up process, what do you think there, where do you see, and perhaps this is a leading question, but is there a sort of skills shortage in the UK? Are you finding it difficult to find great software developers, for example, or, or great technicians? Mm. Where... Where are you? Where are you struggling on the, the resourcing mm. side? I think there's always a, a difficulty in finding great people. There's there's plenty of people, uh, but finding great people 
that are available is, is certainly a challenge. The one thing that COVID's taught us is you don't need to be cooped up in the same office. Like people can work really effectively remotely. And you know, whilst we, we have two offices and people are attending every day, it's not the expectation for some roles. And so particularly in software, we're, we're thinking about you know, recruiting great people. And if they don't live in the UK or they don't live in London, that's actually not such a big deal. So I think you know, from a from a, a skills shortage perspective, I, I would say there's there's a real challenge in finding great people in software in London, but actually there's 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 less of a challenge finding great people in Europe. Mm-hmm. So we we've got to be more flexible. It's a different skill set to manage a remote team, and that is a challenge. But yeah, I think uh, I think we're 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 coping pretty well. So to kind of turn that question up on its head, what advice would you give to, to young graduates or associates who are coming out, you know, perhaps looking at yourself back at that sales job? What advice would you give to that cohort? Um, and in terms of, you know, what you're looking for from them? I'm not the best person to give advice, I don't think. But, um, <laughs> you know, way too modest. <laughs> no, not, no, not at all. You know, like get a job, just get a job. Because once you're in a job, then you'll quite quickly realise what you're good at. And I don't know, I mean, I, I wasn't one to stick around in something I didn't enjoy. I lasted like weeks in two or three roles before I ended up at, at Podpoint. I think it's, it's definitely a tough market for graduates. Like you know, my brother is of that age and his friends and things are, are still searching for a job, jobs a year on. And it's, it's, it's really difficult, but just, just, Find a job and work really hard and you'll you work it out. Um, and if you want a job at EO, then email me. <laughs> Charlie Jardine, thanks for joining me. Thanks, sir. Thank you for listening to the Why Invest podcast with me, Doug Barnett, Portfolio Manager at Waverton. And our guest this week, Charlie Jardine from EO Charging. If you have any questions uh, on any of the topics we discussed in this series, do get in touch at waverton.co.uk or with Charlie himself at eocharging.com. And if you've enjoyed the show, why not like it or tell your friends and subscribe?